0: everybody Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage the playoff oh it's like the playoff edition and it's the morning and it's Friday and once again a day chock full of drama and intrigue Sarah Sivian how are things in Carolina speaking of drama and intrigue we are going to get to uh, Carolina Boston which is to me such a fascinating series all kinds of things going on there Uh, but I do want to start Uh, With you and with the with some actual news on this Friday morning, the Montreal Canadiens just sending out a release saying that head coach Claude Julien um, will be heading to Montreal today he's going to rest at home following the stenting of a coronary artery that was carried out at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto of course we all know the the news that was revealed by GM Mark Bergevin that uh, Claude Julien had been taken by ambulance after the Canadiens and Flyers the first game of the first round so lots of good thoughts to go to Claude Julien one of the one of the great coaches of his generation really just such a a tremendous human being and I know uh, you, you know Claude well from time in Boston and I wonder what you what you make of all this you know again we're it's such an unusual circumstance all of what we're dealing with uh, as we go through this return to play and and now well into the first round of the playoffs And all of a sudden, the Montreal Canadiens will be without their head coach. It does sound like he's going to be okay and that there are really, you know, sort of signs of optimism that this is going to be a full recovery. But it's got to be, you know, really troubling for a Montreal Canadiens team that has, you know, really sort of defied expectations thus far.
1: Oh, yeah, that's um, definitely, I guess, taking people by surprise. But at the same time, I mean, it's... it's, We've been waiting for a chance to see Carey Price be what we've all known that he can be, right? And at the same time, yeah, with Claude, he was a legend for me growing up, just a Bruins fan. And he was the first yeah. NHL head coach I've ever interviewed. I asked him what he thought about <laughs> David Posternak, And he said, yeah, I think he's pretty good. So that, <laughs> he was right about that. And obviously, well wishes to him. Glad everybody's safe there, but and okay. But um yeah, that's been kind of exciting, right? Um, I guess the underdog mentality, especially if there's ever a time to capitalize on that, it's during these playoffs.
0: Well, it's interesting, you know, Kirk Muller, who has had some head coaching experience, of course, he for a brief time was the head coach in Carolina with the Hurricanes back in the day. um it- I wonder if, you know, we talk so much uh, about head coaching and, and how important it is and the pressure that's on the, on the head coaches to, to come up with a game plan. Um, do you think there's a huge, like, what's it mean for a team to have to come in and get ready for a playoff game and not have that familiar voice and presence? And, and Claude Julian is a presence. And I wonder, you know what, these are pros, so maybe the transition is a seamless one. Or do you think there is going to be some adjustment for everyone as the Canadians get used to not having Claude Julien there? Because he won't be back for the end, until the, uh, certainly for the rest of this series.
1: Well, that's where I think the a million games in two days format like <laughs> that's going on right now is a benefit because they don't really have time to think about it, right? Just play your game and yeah. rally around him.
0: I think you might be right there, um, and let's. It's a great segue because, of course, Claude Julian's connection to Boston is is strong. And you mentioned David Pasternak. There was so much to unpack from Game Two of that Carolina Boston series. I think one of the most eagerly anticipated of the eight first round series, uh, given how well Carolina played against the Rangers and sweeping them in the play in round, and of course, you know, the Bruins sort of know sort of sleepwalking their way through the uh, round robin uh, coming up with zero wins and uh, after a double overtime win in game one uh, Patrice Bergeron with the game winner and then David Pasternak Unable to go. It looked from a replay like he might have actually hurt himself. Uh, and not, I only play a doctor on TV and I'm not one in real life, but (laughs) almost looked like he hurt himself celebrating the overtime winner, uh, because he looked like he was in, you know, sort of core discomfort, but unable to play. Um, Rod Brindamore making a a number of lineup changes, including going to James Reimer in goal. What's your takeaway from game two? There was just, there was so much going on there, but that was, needless to say, a pivotal win for the Canes as they come up with a 3-2 win to even the series at one game apiece.
1: Well, my takeaway, and which I'm going to write at some point today that I still kind of haven't, but is that... It's the same Bruins, which is scary, but it's a different Canes team, which is also scary. Like, it, they're not going away, the Bruins, and they have been designed to be in their cup window right now. And I didn't make much of the round robin just because it's an exhibition, but, um, and because that first line, like, they've been through it all. Like, I. I do think, though, that the Canes showed in game two. I thought they had to win that game and that they did, and that um, especially after Rod Brindamore's comments about the officiating, I think they kind of rallied around that. And I, what I make of it is that it's going to be way more of a series than last ECF.
0: Well, and, and I couldn't agree more, and I thought it was a, a pivotal moment for the Hurricanes early in this series. And and I'm curious. I have to – I've been trying to figure this out, and and I hope you can help me. I I want so much to believe that the Carolina Hurricanes did actually send a check to the NHL for $25,017. Of course, the 17 would reflect the number that Rod Brindamore wore throughout his career uh, for his comments. And I thought, frankly... Well uh, chosen words about what had happened in Game One uh, after they challenged a a Bruins goal. I don't under- Still don't quite get exactly what Rod Brindermore was supposed to have done with the officiating explanation or choices. And then it followed up last night uh, a pretty egregious call late in the it was like second period if I my memory serves correct. Uh, On table, Tara and the Bruins scored with the less than four seconds left to tie the game. Um, That was, uh, I thought Rod Brindamore, you know, sort of handled himself very well. But, um, you know, like the officiating has been an issue and, and the fine. I wonder what you made about that whole drama because sometimes, you know, coaches tre- walk a line if you start complaining about officiating, especially in playoffs, in a series where you might see, you know, the same officials, you know, every two or three days or whatever it is. You know How how Rob Brindamore handled that whole thing?
1: Oh, well, first of all, I thought it was awesome. I mean, obviously, I thought it was awesome when he's like, I, I get the information, right? But also, I... I think he got it all out and that I think he did that right where like he's not going to talk about it ever again and he didn't say it like in the post game presser in front of everyone dropping up bombs but I do think um, he gave the team like I for me I took it as like him vote like a vote of confidence in his own team that like he wanted to stand up for them like he's a players coach right and I felt like he saw some unfair things going on with a team that had worked really hard and he wasn't going to stand, he was going to stick up for them and wasn't going to stand by. I thought what he said about them making him choose if it was um, a hand pass or interference was just, that would make anybody mad. That was absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Like it was one of them. Like I, I understand why he was heated. And I also think at the same time, you can't, hang your head on officiating for every single thing and they had to at some point suck it up and say all right well we're gonna play well despite whatever and that's what they did in game two so
0: yeah I gotta tell you it's it's been fascinating to watch uh, Rod Brendamore, you know, handled his lineup. Of course, no Justin Williams, um, no Sammy Vatn in Game One. I thought both those guys were critical to the Canes having success in Game Two. But the big move, of course, is to go from Peter Mrazek uh, to James Reimer. He did it in the opening round after they get up to nothing. I thought Peter Mrazek was really good in Game One. I thought the Canes looked not really ready for this level of competition, and I thought they were a bit ragged. I thought Peter Rasmick was really good. Ultimately, they lose in double overtime. Back-to-back, because they played at 11 a.m. because of the, being pushed ahead today with from um, the, the Tampa-Columbus game. So I wasn't surprised that James Reimer came in in the second of back-to-backs. What do you think Rod Brindamore does now? Because both guys, I think, have played very well. Obviously, James Reimer gets—he's uh, now got his second straight win. Do you automatically go back to James Reimer for Game 3 on Saturday? My memory serves. I think it's yes. afternoon, is it yes, not? Yes, it is. You know, what you, yeah. How do you, so how do you—what what do you make of the whole goaltending juggling act? Because, again, I think sometimes coaches can get—you you know, you you, you want to have some consistency, but— Rod has been apparently like, no, I'd, I'm going to do it this way, <laughs> and it so far it's worked out.
1: Well, three games in four days, three playoff games. That's just insane. And this, I feel like, in such a unique time, it's actually obviously coaching decisions and lineup tweaks have never been more important for team success. I think, and I feel like, I don't know, I'm not an NHL coach, but if I was, I would just honestly ask them how they like Marazik and Reimer how they feel about it because it's so different and unique of a situation that um like i don't know do you guys want to play back-to-backs do you not like this this has never happened before so i do think i don't know if i had to guess they'd go back to mirazic just because reimer's not getting any younger and they both have shown to be pretty much equally good so far so might as well just keep alternating them
0: what do you yeah you know what it is it is interesting and and it's not I mean, we saw this last year. It was a little bit different dynamic, obviously, with Peter Mrazek, who uh, got hurt uh, very early in that second round against the New York Islanders, and Curtis mm-hmm. McElhaney, who hadn't played in like 100 days or whatever it was, came yeah. in and was just sweet, <laughs> stupendous sweet. as the cane swept the aisles in the in the second round. But my sense is that, Because you have sort of a history of, uh, you know, this is a team that really is built on two goaltenders. And I know there was a lot of discussion at one point before the pause that, you know, James Reimer had played uh, well enough and maybe had earned that, I use my air quotes here, the starter role. But both those guys, it just seems like maybe that team is built to have two guys, right? It just doesn't seem to upset their flow one way or the other and, and I wonder whether you think that's true and maybe how th- how important that is given, as you point out, the dynamics are completely out the window in terms of scheduling this summer.
1: Well, I do think it's super important, especially for when, I mean, no offense to either of them, but just kind of like the the quality. I mean, none of neither of them have been, or at least recently, a true number one goaltender. So they have to kind of know that and know that, like, they're all just kind of trying to help the team win the game and i feel like they've put their egos aside and just kind of keep that in mind at least i mean i don't know i'm not in their heads but i feel like you look at someone like tukarask that's kind of the number one goalie in boston and that's going to win you a cup but at the same time like the canes need to be a tandem for it to work
0: yeah All right, before I let you go, Sarah, I know you've got a busy day ahead and the hockey schedule never takes a break uh, this (laughs) summer. Uh, But I was curious about a a Game 2 that will come up in the Eastern Conference uh, later today. And we touched a little bit on Montreal-Philadelphia, obviously, with Chloe Julian's situation there. But I am fascinated to see how Game 2 of the New York Islanders-Washington Capitals Series unfolds. You watched the Caps very closely, of course, last year in the first round when the Canes affected a pretty dramatic upset in double overtime in Game 7. Uh, Caps already find themselves, at least in my mind, in a in a bit of a must-win situation, having allowed four straight goals to the Isles. They're down. They lost Game 1-4-2. Will be without Nicholas Backstrom, uh, who's in uh, concussion protocol. So uh, just a pivotal player for them all over the ice. I know Tariq Al-Bashir and I were t- chatting about it yesterday, but confirmed now he will not play in game two and I wonder what you make of of that situation well you know the Islanders very well of course too from last year in the second round so two teams that love to play it hard and physical and I I expect there'll be some bite in game two as well
1: yeah I'll be honest with you Scott Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the Capitals coaching staff like it just uh, they don't really do it for me and um, (laughs) it's the Barry Trotz cup Um, I feel like he, it's, especially when coaching, that that's my been my whole thing this playoffs, that coaching has never been more important. And I feel like they have, the Islanders have a major edge in not only having Trotz as the coach, but also it's a team that he knows so well in the Capitals. And I mean, there's no stopping Ovechkin when he's on though. So he is going to have to be huge, obviously. but
0: Yeah, it's going to be great uh, great to see. And I expect that today will be no different than every other day Sarah is that there will be more drama more controversy (laughs) and more stuff for us to write about to talk about at the athletic and uh, of course you should always read Sarah Sivian at the athletic Carolina and follow Sarah at Sarah Sivian so thanks for hanging out with us today and I'm sure that you and I will chat again soon about all things canes and beyond so thanks very much for hanging out
1: anytime Scott thanks for having me
0: all right now we will be headed west in a brief moment to catch up with Scott Cruikshank, a man who I'm curious to see whether he was excited to see Jamie Alexiak's goal with 39.2 seconds left in that Calgary-Dallas game uh, that might have saved him a quintuple overtime night. It's already early enough in Calgary, but uh, we'll find out all of the news from the Western Conference from Scott Cruikshank when we come back in a moment. Support for Two-Man Advantage is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer the Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code theathletic20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code theathletic20. And for a limited time, Subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. Scott, okay, you can be honest with us. Uh, Were you looking at the clock going, oh my gosh, here we go, (laughs) overtime that could go into the middle of the night, and you're like looking at the clock going, and why did I tell Burnside I would come on with him in the morning? (laughs) What was that moment like for you when Oleksiak secured uh, the victory for the Dallas Stars with less than a minute to go?
2: Well, to to be honest with you, I was kind of shocked when I saw that puck go in, mainly because, (laughs) you know, you're kind of, in that overtime mode and uh i wonder if the flames got caught thinking that as well they just come back from being down 4-2 and i wonder if they were already thinking about how they were going to approach overtime and maybe their work and regulation was done but it was not done but uh in terms of setting my uh alarm for this morning i thought uh you know regulation worked all right but <laughs> I-, I should say though that uh Dallas winning was a deserved result as well. They were the better team last night, no question.
0: It's, it's Scott. I think this series, you know, it's, it's uh, Sean Shapiro and I were talking yesterday morning because we were sort of, you know, we we both, of course, have spent some time in Dallas. Sean's still there, but I was there for a year, and and it's a team that has been very hard to get your arms around. And we talk often and at length about Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan and it looked, you know, certainly from watching it, that both those players were more engaged last night. And and uh, but for me, uh, I just continue to marvel marvel at. Uh, Miro Haskin, scored two goals last night. And maybe this is part of what we're seeing with this Dallas team and, and being a guy in the West. And I wonder if if maybe what you have seen early in this series from Haskin, and, you know, I mean, we've seen Quinn Hughes in Vancouver. We've got, you know, Kale McCarr in Colorado. It, the, there are lots of terrific young uh, high, high-end talent defenseman in the NHL, but I'm not sure people maybe get just where Miro Haskin is at, and I wonder maybe what, you, what you've seen from him and whether you think that that maybe this is part of a coming-out party for him.
2: Yeah, that, that's kind of the interesting part about playoffs is that you get to to see these guys with a kind of a, a concentrated look at them. Like in the regular season, you might see a, a guy play in October, then maybe again in January, and that might be it. But now, uh, tonight, we'll get to see... Uh, Hasek and play for the third straight time, and it's uh, it's a treat. This is a strong player, like you mentioned, an elite defender already, and uh, you get a better appreciation of that. You know, we're going to see him at least five times in a row, and I'm sure by the end of it, we'll all be, you know, singing his praises. He, he was terrific last night, but he was in the first game as well.
0: Yeah, it's I, I, I and I was really and not just because I picked them to beat uh, Winnipeg and then picked them to beat uh, Calgary, although. Or sorry, beat Dallas, but it and usually it is all about me. Uh, but I have been intrigued by this Calgary team because they do seem to me to have a bit of a different personality or mentality in this year's playoff. Uh, after being so disappointed last year in a five-game setback in the first round against Colorado, the the number one seed and. Poof, they were gone. But I wonder if you are sensing maybe some cracks along the edges or, you know, I. it seems to me maybe that top line at 5-on-5 five five hasn't been as uh, uh, noteworthy early in the series against Dallas as maybe they were against Winnipeg. And you alluded to it. I mean, we're, you're going to get right back at it tonight, back-to-back games. Are you? Are there there's some concerns, do you think, with where the Flames are at now? Or is this just sort of the natural ebb and flow of, of a best of seven series against a, a team that earned a, a breakthrough the round Robin like Dallas did.
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, last year in the playoffs against Colorado, they, uh, the flames as a group uh, was not very good. And that first line in particular uh, didn't do well at all. Like uh, Sam Bennett last year had uh, five points in that series and that entire first line uh, had five points in that series. So um and you're right, though, against the Jets, they were okay, especially on the power play. But, but this series, uh, especially with the Stars looking to dig in, they haven't been very good. And last night, they weren't very good at all. And in fact, I'm not sure how often you see this, but the, the Flames coaches were forced to break up the third line to use the, to use the components of that line to get the first line going. <laughs> and and you know what? It's not a surprise. The, the third line, that's Lucic, uh, Sam Bennett, and Dylan Dubé have been the Flames' best line, which is one of those good news, bad news things. And uh, the first line is still looking to find its way. A- and the series isn't going to get any more tame. We You mentioned Jamie Benn, and he last night started looking like, well, you've seen him. When he gets a little grumpy, he gets a lot of room. Yeah. And last night, he, he was kind of grumpy. And that's not exactly the environment the Flames First Line likes. And of course, if you kind of go through Twitter or look at the social media, some of the the locals are getting restless in terms of that first line. They want to see a lot (laughs) more, and rightly so. There should be a lot more from that group.
0: Yeah. Well, and this is, I, I think this is a series that, and maybe lots of teams will be in this position, but, you know, sort of a, a referendum on, on how this team is built. And I think the same things are being said in Dallas. You know, what do we do if if we can't get out of the first round? And what do we do with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan and their monster contracts? Um, I think the same kinds of things maybe are going to be asked about Calgary if, the, if this goes sideways. But uh, I, I, am, I was curious about your take on uh, Matthew Kachuk, who is such an important part of uh, of this team, an important part of any series, but especially one that might have a little bit of bristle to it, and and this one is definitely going to have that. He got crunched between Jamie Ben and Jamie Alexiak, and then also took a. Uh, I know some maybe Calgary fans felt it was a spear. I felt it was maybe a. A more inadvertent stick to the midsection off a faceoff, but definitely some discomfort for Matthew Kachuk and uh, just how important he is. And, and you know, his ability to return to the lineup in such a short period of time will be pretty important for this Flames team.
2: Oh, yeah, that was uh super troubling for the Flames last night for sure to see him leave. I think he left uh three times and came back only twice, so uh, he's one of the teams. Uh, I don't want to say he's one of the team's few gamers, but he is, you know, their primary gamer. Like, he's the guy that shows up and he wants to be involved, and the fact that he got hurt, I think, five minutes into the third and did not return, th- that's a scary thought. So uh, on the first one, the uh, inadvertent spear, if you will, um, <laughs> I'm not so sure about the accidental nature of it myself. but um, he. He left and was kind of hobbling, and then it seemed uh, you mentioned the crunch between uh, the the two big guys, uh, and it seemed like a different injury. Like yeah. he seemed kind of wobbly, and he kind of held his head as when it happened, and kind of staggered off the ice. So, if there's two things up, and and I don't know, there's been no indication if he's in any kind of protocol or anything like that, but boy, I don't know. If he doesn't come back uh, tonight, they they. Uh, I won't say they're in trouble, but it's concerning. And uh, Like when Travis Hamadouk opted out, uh, that was a, a, a jolt to the team. But the yeah. Flames had played without him for four straight weeks leading up to the pause. So they know what that looks like. Uh, without Kachuk in the lineup, I don't know if they know what that looks like. And I don't know if they want to find out either. And I don't know if there's a natural person uh, to slot into that second line either it's a
0: and it's uh, Sarah Zivian and I were talking but just before we we came to you that the schedule makes all of this so uh, challenging i would think for coaching staffs and how you you know how you Treat your your lineup, and of course, because the NHL has thrown the cloak of secrecy uh, over the entire proceedings, <laughs> right. it's so hard to know, you know, where players are at, what is really wrong with them. Um, you know, we we did we saw Ben Bishop who, you know, didn't play at one point in the round robin and then didn't start game one and Tyler Sagan was out and it's very hard to get your handle on things and especially now when you're talking about playing three and four and your schedule is at the mercy of other teams because of the overtimes and all those kinds of things um it, it, what kind of challenge do you think this represents then for you know two coaches who are you know who knows what happens? But both Jeff Ward in Calgary and, and Rick Bonus in Dallas, um, you know, both those teams may be looking for new head coaches a, at the end of these proceedings, anyway. And I wonder if it's you know what kind of challenge do you think it presents for those guys?
2: Yeah, well, it, it's it's an interesting time for for Ward for sure because he, you know, like you mentioned, he's got that interim tag, as does Rick Bonus, and the the general consensus is that he'll be judged on how the team does in this playoffs uh the first the qualifying round included so he kind of passed that first test but now he's kind of staring at this kind of second thing and as we've talked about that first line isn't doing what it should be doing then does he wear that or do the players wear that i know after colorado's uh lashing of the flames last year in the playoffs the trelevin chose to stay pat and so now you know what happens like um I know some people have said this is so unusual, the circumstances are so unprecedented. You can't judge someone from what happens right now, but, but I think you can. And the failings of a team will be on full display regardless of you know if, if they're playing in August or if they're playing in December. So personally, I think Jeff knows what he's doing and he's a good coach, but uh, there's a challenge there. And, and it is his first time as a head coach in the NHL. So um, yeah. It, like you said, and if this Kachuk thing turns into something serious, is uh, the challenge is obvious for him. Yeah, that's good.
0: Uh, before I let you go, Scott, I wanted to ask you about uh, another Western Conference uh, series that we'll get going with Game 2 uh, later today. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's, it's uh, maybe it's always the way, and being Eastern-centric, as sometimes the um, hockey media is, but it's been, uh, I think, a little bit difficult to get our hands around what you know what kind of team the Vancouver Canucks are I think we figured that maybe Minnesota you know wasn't you know that they weren't probably a huge obstacle to the Canucks uh, but to see them really race away at the end of game one of their first round series against defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis I think people are going well is that a function of the Blues still not quite getting up to speed after sleepwalking through the round Robin or is this really a Vancouver team that people need to take you know to pay closer attention to and i I'd I know you see much, much more of Vancouver, of course, being in the Pacific. It, it, are you surprised by maybe how game one unfolded and maybe what kind of pressure is now on St. Louis, you know, to match what the Canucks are bringing to the table?
2: Yeah, you know what? I, I kind of felt a little bit bad for those top seeds. They They had to go through that round robin tea party kind of thing. And now they're kind of thrown right into this mess against these qualifying teams, the teams that kind of, you know, slug their way through the qualifying, so it, it's tough. And, and the Blues did not look good in those round robin games. And the Canucks do look good, and they're a strong young team, one of the best young teams in the league. So, the fact that they allowed the Canucks to get a kind of a sniff of success, uh, I think the Blues are in trouble. They're, they're gonna have to really play well to get through the Canucks, and um, I'd say the Canucks are feeling it. And in terms of a guy like Hughes, like you know, and Pedersen, these are amazing. You know, world class talents so the, the Blues have their hands full yeah. Scott you
0: are a true champion for getting up early after a late <laughs> night and chatting with us so uh, and you should always read Scott's Flames coverage at the Athletic Calgary and follow Scott at by Crookshank and Scott I don't imagine this will be the last time I force you to get up early and chat hockey with us during this playoff run but thank you for doing so
2: no problem at all
0: All right, that's it for this Friday morning edition of Two Man Advantage, the playoff edition. You should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe uh, to Two Man Advantage on Apple. Uh, You should also check out uh, Minnesota Wild GM Bill Guerin, who joins Mike Russo on Straight from the Source at The Athletic. And you should also make a note to come back first thing Monday morning as we pick up what happened over the weekend. I can guarantee it will be chock full of drama and you will not want to miss it.